Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in to Outkick the Show Wednesday edition. I am back uh, from Orlando where I have spent the last five days. I appreciate all of you hanging out with me. I hope you enjoy a little bit better of a tan from me. It's been hectic. I had my two youngest kids, my seven-year-old and my 11-year-old with me solo uh, for those five days in Orlando. We went to uh, Universal Studios for two days. We went to the Magic Kingdom at Disney and we went to SeaWorld. I'll break down the amusement park analysis from uh, both me and my seven and 11-year-olds here in a moment. But uh, we've got a lot to talk about because I left on Thursday, uh, right before the NFL draft, which took place in Las Vegas. So uh, I've got some fallout to react to there as well. Uh, The Roe v. Wade leak, uh, we will talk about May the 4th. It's Star Wars Day. Family trips versus vacations, theme park ratings. Uh, Dave Chappelle attacked on the stage last night in L.A. Uh, A.J. Brown, the trade, I've tweeted about it. I haven't talked about it. Uh, Ryan Tannehill uh, analyzing whether or not he is willing to mentor uh, and more, all of that headed in your direction. But let's start with the Roe v. Wade story. So full disclosure, uh, I was at the Magic Kingdom. I know people are like, oh, how in the world could you go to the Magic Kingdom? We've had this trip planned for six months. Uh, my first grader and my fifth grader wanted to go to the Magic Kingdom, so I took them to the Magic Kingdom. So uh, the fireworks display has started. My phone blows up. Uh, with the news, uh, the link to the Politico article. Uh, I read the link to the Politico article. Uh, then we hop on uh, It's a Small World. By the way, uh, had a, uh, a really good time uh, at all the theme parks. And then my immediate thought is, after I read it, well, this is clearly a leak from a left-wing member of the court. So here's my prescription in general. Uh, This opinion should be released as soon as it possibly can be, meaning I would go ahead and put it out, even if you were planning on holding it until the end of June. Uh, And I think John Roberts needs to sign on to it as well to make it a 6-3 to decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, And I'll give you my analysis here in a moment uh, of the opinion and of the situation and abortion and everything else. I'm sure everybody's going to 100% agree with everything that I say. Uh, But... The reason why John Roberts should sign on and the opinion should be immediately released is because all of these conservative jurists right now are under a great deal of danger. Uh, And and I'm not trying to to, to be uh, hyperbolic about that danger. I think we all know that we live in an era of increasing violence, that uh, there are a lot of people who take their political beliefs so seriously that they would be willing to commit violence associated with them. I think all you have to do is look at the riots uh, that we all lived through in 2020 associated with Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, uh, the situation that happened in the Capitol uh, on uh, January 6th, which I think, by the way, uh, as I said before, people should be, uh, and I've said for years now, people who break the law based on their political beliefs should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. If you riot, 
uh, if you uh, commit crimes against property or humanity, you should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, regardless of whether you're a Democrat, Republican, independent, uh, whatever you might be. Uh, So if this ends up being a five to four decision and Chief Justice Roberts doesn't support it, then there are going to be people out there who say, particularly with Biden in office, if there were one less conservative jurist, then abortion would still be the law of the land. I think that Justice Roberts needs to sign on 6-3 and it needs to immediately become law. Now, uh, uh, sorry, needs to immediately end as Roe v. Wade uh, and go back to the states. Now, this is a big part of, uh, of the overall analysis that is not being talked about enough. Um, I think that when you look at this decision in general, there is this idea that abortion is being made illegal. That's not true. All right. The Supreme Court is giving this right back to the states. I think if you look at the last nearly 50 years of constant fighting that has gone on since Roe v. Wade over the issue of abortion, I think we need to be using all 50 states and allow this to be a debate that truly takes place inside of the democratic system. Uh, By which I mean all 50 states can determine what is the appropriate response for abortion and pass those laws. Uh, And you will have some states that have more protection of abortion rights than exist in Roe v. Wade. You will have some states that have less. And over time, I believe that is better to allow the democratic process to resolve this than the decision made in Roe v. Wade. Now, look, I'm a lawyer, and I think almost any lawyer worth his salt or her salt, the Roe v. Wade opinion is a mess. It is a mess in the wake of Casey. It's a total jumbled mess because abortion is a really difficult decision. And as you age and as you experience life, you are going to, I believe, have different perspectives. When I was 18 and I didn't have kids, uh, I was very much of the, hey, I'm uh, pro-life. I mean, sorry, pro-choice. 18 years old in theory. Then you get older and you have three kids, and you go through the process of seeing a baby be born and of uh, your wife uh, or whoever the mom of your baby is, having that baby and seeing what the process of childbirth is like and your perspectives change. And then you have kids of your own and your perspectives change as well. So I think the idea that everybody is firmly in the pro-choice or firmly in the pro-life camp is not really where most of Americans are. This is my personal uh, analysis here. I, I believe that a huge percentage of Americans agree with me and viability matters a ton, right? So uh, I, I don't have any problem with, uh, with the RU486 or whatever those pills are, the morning after pills. I'm not even sure what they're exactly called right now. I think most people probably don't either. Certainly, I'm in favor of birth control. Um, but the idea of a post-viability abortion uh, makes me sick to my stomach, frankly, and I don't support it. Um, and... Uh, the idea of simultaneously requiring a 14-year-old who got raped uh, to have to have a child also makes me sick to my stomach, and I don't support it either. So I know everybody out there is like, oh, you have to be 100% percent 
all in on this idea or all in on that idea. I, I don't think that's true at all. And I don't think that's where most Americans are. Um, and so, uh, you know, I believe in uh, the sanctity of life. And I also believe simultaneously uh, in the right for people to make their own medical choices. Right. And um, and that's whether you want to get the COVID shot or uh, as it pertains to immediately after sex, deciding to go get a, uh, a the morning after pill. Right. I think that should be widely available. I think we should focus a lot of our time on trying to ensure that there are as few unintended pregnancies as possible. And I, a lot of times this gets lost in the overall equation. Um, but thankfully, the number of abortions that are occurring is declining substantially. The number of uh, unwanted teen pregnancies is declining substantially. Those are good things. And I would like to believe that in the decades ahead, the number of unintentional pregnancies are going to continue to decline. And therefore, the number of people that would ever intend or attempt to end a pregnancy would decline as well. So I guess people want you to be like, oh, I'm 100 uh, percent committed to one side or the other. I actually think there's a great deal of, uh, of detail that gets overlooked here. And I think the decision of Roe v. Wade going back to the courts, uh, to the individual states, the court stepping out of it and saying nine elected just unelected justices should not be making this choice is the right choice. I would rather the 50 states in the democratic process, whatever opinions you have, get involved, be able to advocate for them. I think this is rational. I think this is reasonable. Now, that's my opinion on the Roe v. Wade case in general. Uh, what I read of Alito's opinion, there's a lot of people out there, of course, that are saying, oh, by the way, uh, this is going to challenge. I saw where Joy Behar said, are they going to overrule Brown versus Board of Education? Are they going to overrule gay marriage? Specifically in there, uh, in Alito's opinion, it says that the case is limited to abortion uh, as well. So just FYI, I also think this is uh, uh, completely wrong that this opinion was leaked. And I remember in law school talking, we have a lot of professors, uh, I went to Vanderbilt Law School, and I remember talking to former Supreme Court clerks, a lot of them end up law professors, and I was blown away that none of the opinions ever leaked in advance. And all the clerks, and they were Democrat and Republicans and independents and libertarians, all the clerks said, oh, no, 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 that never gets leaked. And they were, they were correct. For my entire life, no opinion has been leaked before it was released. Okay, now, there's been discussion after the opinions come out. There, uh, there have been things that have happened before my life, but I'm over 40 years old, and in my life, there has never been a situation like this occur. Uh, so I believe that there needs to be a full investigation into who leaked this uh, opinion and there need to be substantial consequences for whoever is responsible for leaking this opinion. Uh, it's unacceptable, regardless of what the opinion was, whether it was get, uh, saying gay marriage is going to be permitted or whether it was saying that, uh, that we're in a position where uh, Roe v. Wade is being returned to the states. I think this is important, okay? It should never occur. I think it's political in nature, and I think it's left-wing political in nature. The intent here is to further provide credence to the idea of 50-vote filibusters. Don't think it's going to happen thanks to Manchin and Cinema, but that's the idea. And also to expanding the Supreme Court, which I think is a radical idea itself. 
those are what I think the, the, the goal is here. Now, um, in terms of the consequences, certainly I think the person who, uh, who leaked this, if they are uncovered and discovered, and I think they should be, should lose their job at the Supreme Court because they can no longer be trusted. And I think there should be consequences from a uh, criminal perspective, assuming that the people who are investigating determined that there was a crime committed. Again, that's the investigation that I think should, should take place. Uh, because I don't think there's any doubt, and I hope they have great security, that all of the justices in the majority are under a great deal of danger until this, op- until this opinion is officially released. I, I fear for their safety. I really do in this world that we live in right now. What's the political fallout? Look, I believe that this November should be a red wave election because of the failures of the Democratic Party as it pertains to COVID. Taking our kids out of school, making people wear masks, all of it, there should be significant consequences here. Uh, But I also think that there's likely to be some people, suburban women, I'm surrounded by a lot of them, not surprisingly where I live, that are furious over the COVID failures of the Democratic Party, but are also apprehensive about what might happen in a post-Roe world. I understand that, which is why I think that the Democrats will ultimately end up running almost entirely on Roe v. Wade being under danger, in danger. And what they'll also try to do is say every other precedent is in danger as well and expand that. I don't believe that's true. Uh, I think Roe is standing alone in terms of its impact of overturning this decision and returning it to the states. I think this is a political issue. And I think that individual state legislatures and individual governors should all have the right in all 50 state laboratories to determine what is the appropriate standard as it pertains to abortion. I really do. Now, what exactly that ends up looking like, I think you're going to have a lot of differences of uh, what the law is, depending on whether you're in a red state or a blue state. I think this further accelerates the idea of COVID as a resettling in this country. I think red becomes redder and blue becomes bluer. And if you are 1 billion percent committed to all you care about is abortion, then I would say move to a state that better reflects your individual politics as it pertains to abortion. Now, I think that's a tiny minority of the overall American public. But if you are in that position, if you are in that position that you desperately care about that situation, then move to a state where reproductive freedom, if you want to call it that, is completely uninhibited. I am not of the opinion, personally, that there should be post-viability abortions. I don't, I don't want to live in a state where that occurs. Uh, I also simultaneously don't believe that if a 14-year-old gets raped, that the government should be in the position of demanding that that girl have that baby, right? So uh, again, that's my particular persuasion. I think those will probably be the rules that will apply in, in my state of Tennessee. I don't know for sure. Um, so uh, it, that is, to me, uh, the way to uh, the way to analyze this going forward. Obviously, you can listen to Clay and Buck. We've spent a great deal of time talking about this. Um, I would also say this. Look, I'm not a litmus test person. And what I mean by that is I don't expect for every single opinion that I have or you have 
to perfectly comport with the Republican or Democratic parties because there oftentimes is hypocrisy. For instance, Democrats who say you should be able to have an abortion at any time you want during a pregnancy and I simultaneously, meaning Democrats, they simultaneously believe that you should be mandated to get the COVID shot. So wait, on the one hand, you're of the opinion that I can have an abortion even post-viability for the baby, but you're going to mandate that I get a COVID shot? I don't understand how you reconcile those two perspectives. Similarly, I don't understand how you reconcile if you're a Republican, hey, I don't even believe in in, uh, allowing a 14-year-old girl who was raped to not have a baby, but also everybody should be able to make a choice about whether or not they uh, get the COVID shot. I mean, again, that doesn't make sense to me. And all I try to do is be every single day as honest with you guys as I possibly can be, as logical, as rational, as consistent as I possibly can be. So those are my uh, that's my perspective on the Roe v. Wade case on abortion in general. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. On Thursday afternoon, took my boys, my 7- and 11-year-olds, down to Orlando. We went to Universal Studios two days. Uh, We went to Disney, uh, and we went to SeaWorld. I asked my kids to rank the theme parks. They ranked them as follows. Universal Studios, from both the 7- and the 11-year-old, got the gold medal. Silver medal went to Disney. Bronze medal went to uh, the uh, SeaWorld. So both of my boys, the seven-year-old and the 11-year-old, the way that I would analyze it, I think Universal Studios has better rides than Disney does. Disney may have better ambiance. They certainly have the nostalgia factor working in their direction. But if you're just going to ride rides, Harry Potter land is better than any individual land that exists inside of Disney World. And the rides inside of Universal are better, I think, than the rides inside of Disney. Now, you're talking about two parks versus four, but even if you combine the best rides from the four parks at Disney into one park and did the same for Universal, I think Universal has better rides. The Velociraptor ride is better than Everest, which I think is the best ride in terms of roller coaster inside of Disney. Uh, The uh, Harry Potter Hagrid's ride is better than the Snow White Minecraft uh, ride. Now, there is a little bit of a difference in you have to be a little bit older to be able to do the rides at Universal. And I would just say in general, uh, in general, we had to help my seven-year-old, we had to put socks, extra socks in his shoes for him to be able to ride the Hagrid ride at Universal. The heights are a little bit higher. He could ride everything at Disney. 
So if you have younger kids, I think they'll like Disney a little bit more. But as you get to that 9, 10-year-old age, I think most kids would like Universal better. Uh, for, for SeaWorld, even older kids, because you have to be 54 inches tall to be able to ride a lot of the SeaWorld rides. If you're a parent and you're making those trips, that's my breakdown of the overall uh, amusement parks. Now, I understand some people are like, oh my God, how dare you? You went to uh, Magic Kingdom. Yeah, I did. Because my seven-year-old and my 11-year-old wanted to go. And I could have sat back and I could have been like, well, you know, there's a major issue associated with what kids can be taught in elementary schools as it pertains to sex-related issues. And your dad is of the opinion that kindergarten, first, second, and third graders shouldn't be talked about from a sex-related perspective. But then I'm talking with my first grader about the issue that I don't think should be appropriate for first grade discussion. So we went to the parks, all right? I don't think everything has to be hyper-political, hyper-partisan. We went to Magic Kingdom, which is the one they wanted to go to. We went to Universal for two days, which is the one I think is the best. And then we went to SeaWorld, where we had a good time. Also, want to reiterate, if you don't have kids yet, there's a difference between a family trip and a vacation. Once you have kids... You take family trips, no longer vacations. Vacation is relaxing. You return with more energy than you had when you left. I am easy, it's easier for me to do my radio show, to do this show, to manage Outkick, and I think I'm going to be on Sean Hannity's show later tonight. That is easier. That is less overwhelming than taking my 7- and 11-year-olds uh, all over the place and being in charge of them the entire day. Today is May the 4th, uh, Star Wars owned by Disney. Uh, I would say power ranking, number one movie, old school, George Lucas style, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is Empire Strikes Back. I would say that uh, the second best movie, old school style, um, George Lucas version, the first six. The second best, I would say is number three, the one where Anakin becomes Darth Vader. The best post-Star Wars, the best, in other words, the best movie after George Lucas was in charge, Rogue One, all right? So my power rankings for the Star Wars films, number one, Empire Strikes Back. Number two, episode three, Anakin becomes Darth Vader. And the third best, Rogue One. Uh, uh, you know, the different tiers, so to speak. Those would be the three, the definite best movie, in my opinion, uh, since George Lucas was not involved. I think Rogue One is the best, and I love the ending of Rogue One. Dave Chappelle was attacked on the stage late last night in L.A. It appears his attacker got a beating. And I wonder to what extent this is connected to Will Smith. Now, I understand people out there who say, It's not connected at all. But when you've got two of the five best comedians in the country, I think it's fair to say that Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock are two of the five, certainly two of the ten best stand-up comedians in the country right now. When you've got both of them attacked within the last month, I do believe that that's reflective, one, of increasing violence overall in the country, but two, also of the idea that words are violence. That if somebody says something you don't like, it's okay to attack them. I thought that what Will Smith did in slapping Chris Rock, completely unacceptable. And the guy who stormed the stage with Dave Chappelle on it, also 
completely unacceptable. And I would just point out that comedians need to be on the side of the First Amendment, need to be on the side of embracing, of embracing the idea of freedom of expression and that there are a lot of people on the left wing in the country, and certainly Dave Chappelle saw this when he had the, had the gall to make jokes about transgender people, where that is considered to be unacceptable. And I am always going to be on the side of free expression, freedom of speech, and of comedians being able to say exactly what they think. Uh, A.J. Brown was traded. I mentioned that I was on the road in Orlando for the last five days with my kids, I was, uh, my kids got hungry on Thursday night. The Titans were not picking until 26. So I said, okay, let's go get, uh, let's go get some food. We were staying at the Portofino Resort uh, there at Universal Studios where you can walk over uh, to Universal Studios and Islands of Adventure. And so we went out, they have a, a, a market there that's open late, 10 o'clock at night, whatever, getting a bunch of snacks because the boys are hungry. So we're sitting there grabbing all these snacks, getting ready to come back. And while I'm in line there, what happens? The trade goes down. My phone blows up. I'm looking down. I know some news has happened because everybody's all of a sudden texting about it. Uh, I get back. Look, to me, this is a sign from the Titans that they aren't close to winning a Super Bowl. And they weren't willing to commit $100 million or $90 million or $60 million or whatever the total guaranteed dollar would have ended up being, probably close to the... $57 $57 million that was guaranteed that the Eagles committed to A.J. Brown uh, in order to keep A.J. Brown. This is a sign the Titans missed their window. I, I hate to say it, but I feel like that loss to the Bengals continues to be a kick in the teeth. Titans were the overall number one seed. You need to beat the Bengals, and you're hosting the AFC Championship game, and you have a chance to go to the Super Bowl uh, to play uh, against the Rams, who you already beat in L.A., Right. Titans had a chance to win a Super Bowl. I think they've missed their window. I don't believe in Ryan Tannehill. I think when the Titans chose not to pay A.J. Brown, they're punting on the season. I hope that Burks ends up being a really good player. I think the odds of the sixth best receiver being taken in the first round, according to drafters, uh, the sixth best receiver, sixth overall for for Burks to go, the odds of him being as good as A.J. Brown are low. I've been a Titans fan for over 20 years. A.J. Brown is the best wide receiver the Tennessee Titans have ever had. And I think the odds of them replacing him uh, with uh, Burks, unlikely. So uh, ultimately, Ryan Tannehill tying in with this was asked about mentoring Malik Willis, who has now been drafted, uh, I think, 86th overall as potentially the heir apparent to Tannehill. Effectively gets a redshirt year. Tannehill said he's not going to mentor him. To me, Tannehill's tenure with the Titans is over. And I think Ryan Tannehill knows his tenure with the Titans is over. And I think also that Ryan Tannehill knows he missed his window to win a Super Bowl, which is why the loss to the Bengals was so difficult for him to get over because he played like crap through three interceptions. And if he just plays a mediocre game, just something other than awfulness. Remember, Ryan Tannehill threw more interceptions uh, in the divisional round of the playoffs than the other seven quarterbacks combined through three interceptions, Ryan Tannehill threw three by himself. So if Ryan Tannehill just plays a mediocre game, the most average game of his career, the Titans win probably fairly easily because they sacked uh, Joe Burrow nine times and they still found a way to almost win that game even with Ryan Tannehill throwing three interceptions. So I think if he just plays average, 
Titans win comfortably in that game. Uh, instead, he does absolutely a disastrous performance, and now we're talking about this being his final year with the Titans. Uh, so I would expect that Ryan Tannehill will be gone after this year and that he recognizes that his chances of ever winning a Super Bowl are virtually zero. Uh, expect the Titans to be, you know, mediocre, 10-7 and seven style team this year, uh, maybe 9-8, and eight, and uh, this will be the last year that Ryan Tannehill ever plays, maybe the last year with Taylor Lewan and also with Derrick Henry, and the Titans will officially turn the page and start to rebuild after this year. Unfortunately, it feels like to me as a longtime season ticket holder and fan, Titans missed their window. Uh, A.J. Brown, if the Titans felt like they could win a Super Bowl, I think they would have found a way to get a deal with him uh, done. Instead, that's what happens. $38 million counting against the cap for Ryan Tannehill this year. He'll be gone next year. Uh, Finally, NBA ratings up a bit uh, so far this year. Uh, I'm watching just a little bit because I've been traveling so much it's been hard. Uh, But I would say this is not a challenge. I've talked about it before. Darren Ravel came after me on Twitter uh, I believe you get woke, you go broke. And the evidence overwhelmingly supports that that's what occurs. The NBA has abandoned talking politics this year. And guess what? Viewers have come back. Because viewers like basketball, they don't like political basketball. Uh, and so it's not a surprise to me that without uh, the, uh, the constant political talk, and frankly without LeBron, who represents too many people, a lot of that political talk, uh, it's not a surprise to me that casual viewership has come back, although I wonder how much of that casual viewership will stay around as some of the big market teams are eliminated in uh, the NBA playoffs. So I appreciate all of you. Uh, DBAP, unless you need to SBAP, I am Clay Travis. This has been Outkick the Show. Appreciate all of you, and thanks for hanging here with me.